Welcome to a ladies' night edition of ARG Presents. I'm your good pal, your good buddy, your number one chum, Amigo Aaron. Joined by a man who's absolutely down with the ladies. I give you the Brent. Hey, that's how they're made to one. Was that, is that how you're down? <laughs> Holy smokes. Good Lord. So, if you joined us last week, and many of you did. It was one of our, one of our most well-received shows in a long time, wasn't it, The Brent? It was. It was. We spun nice a wheel. Team. We made the deal, the wacky deal. We didn't see this one coming. And bam, this week we're going to talk about female protagonists, The Brent. The lady chosen by chat. Chosen by the chat last week. And, and a stroke, you know, I, that made me happy. I was proud of the chat for going out there because this is absolutely a category that has been uh, too long in coming. And it Brent. wasn't Amstrad, which it just blew me it away. It was not. We did not play the Amstrad <laughs> games this week. Why do you hate the Amstrad? So I love I the Amstrad, but the I, chat the chat loves it far, are, far greater than I do. They are obsessed with the Amstrad, there's no doubt. So, Brent, before we get into this week's uh, this week's particular subject, you know, I want you to tell, we talk, last week we did C-64 flight simulators, as, yes. if you'll recall. Now, when we were picking the flight simulators, uh, you ch- almost chose one that was particularly wacky. Can you can you sort of give us an idea of what that was and why you were going to pick it? Well, I've got I, an email pertaining to it. the the uh, The week leading up to game choice was particularly difficult for me, uh, it, from my my work environment. So I had not been able to do the research that I normally put into picking a game. So I, I turned to Discord and I said, Discord. Here's what I'd love to have. I'd love to have a text-based C64 flight sim. Because when do you ever play a text-based flight sim? Yes. And the cha- and uh, Discord, they, they provided, and I was like, okay, that's it. Cool. Text-based flight sim. It's going to be awesome. And yeah. you immediately killed it. You're like, yeah. no, no, not a flight no. sim. Hell and then no. you then you went on to pick not a flight sim. My game so had we, flight simulator in the title. So clearly that, that I was in the right. Nothing. That so, means nothing. There's a so, reason I bring this up. Is because the game you had talked about cho- choosing was called the uh, was 1983's B1 Nuclear Bomber. Right? That's it. So a friend of the show, our good buddy, the Air Shack. Sent me an email, a detailed email here, Brent, and I wanted to raise some light on this. And it, it pertained to all the reasons that you were wrong and dumb to think about picking that. Now, granted, you don't know anything about text-based flight simulators from the early '80s of the C64, <laughs> but it's true, I don't. He gave me an eight-point rundown of why this thing sucked, but. I will say, I'll just, I'll just summarize it. He's, he writes, in March 1983, B-1 nuclear bomber tied for 8th place in Softline's Dog of the Year Awards for Badness in Computer Gamings. <laughs> so, they said its play mechanics were embarrassing when it was initially released. And it says B1, the the uh, such games as B1 were dated even when they were released back on the old 8-bits. So, they killed this thing. Killed it dead, Brent. There's an eight eight points of doom on this, and I wanted to bring that. It was such a detailed email, and it was going over how dumb you were that I had to mention it on the show. Well, now, no, it, that's not fair. It was how dumb the game was. I didn't no, no, know. No, no, it was it was all about your dumbness. So, with all that said, this week we're tackling the female protagonist. Brit. Now, before we get into our, pro- our games proper, I want to talk a little bit about uh, 
our history with the ladies taking the center stage in gaming. Do you recall the first time that you played a game that had a lady protagonist? Yeah, Metroid. Well, no, see, that's not fair. Yeah. It was, Metroid was the first time there was a, a female protagonist that, first of all, was surprising because it was kind of a, a uh, reveal at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it was the first time that a female protagonist had a major defining role in, in my gaming life. I had played others, but not really, not really thought about it. Yeah. And this was the, and, and a lot of that was due to the reveal, right? But Samus uh, ended up being a super strong character. And they wrote her so well for most of her games. One game that Nintendo basically retconned uh, uh, made her not as uh, progressive or as uh, interesting a character. But that, that's been completely retconned by Nintendo. They yeah. don't even mention it anymore. Uh, but she's a, a strong character that they they brought to light and detailed. You know, she's a bounty hunter. She's out there. She's getting the job done. She works alone. That sort of feel, that sort of vibe, uh, which made her a compelling character. You know, I I, I, I will say, when I heard about uh, Samus being a lady at the end of the day, and it was a big deal. When, when, yeah. I, when I, I was like, wow, that's kind of neat. I'm going to go way back, uh, and this is uh, this is sort of the, uh, the answer for me. It was the first time I played a game with a lady at the helm of it was would probably be Miss Pac-Man. Which was uh, the, the first time, and uh, that no, and I know what you're going to say, but before you say it, listen, this one Pac-Man was a big deal. Now, uh, granted, the circumstances for Miss Pac-Man and the creation of it had some bearing on why it was Miss Pac-Man, not Pac-Man Two or whatever. But Miss Pac-Man, I like that that they went out there, they made the game with like with a, more of a lady's touch to it. Pa Miss Pac-Man was a lady. The colors were something that that they thought would appeal to the ladies. And it was neat. I always liked Miss Pac-Man. Of course, it was way better than Pac-Man. That didn't hurt either. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the nod to that one. Uh, I was not the biggest Metroid fan because I'm not very really good at it. But uh, I, I I will say that was a neat aspect to it. And then I'm gonna have to jump forward because I mean there were games where now, you could now wait before you oh, jump forward. Go ahead. Before go you ahead. jump forward, if you're gonna use Miss Pac-Man, yeah, as a female protagonist, the why not Ladybug, which was also a female protagonist that was. Yeah, but there. Well, we don't the know that. First, there aren't there aren't there male lady. Mm -hmm. Is Ladybug's an actual type of? Bug? No, no, no. On yeah, Ladybug, the game Ladybug. Yeah. The the art for Ladybug, the uh, cabinet art, has her as a female. Okay. Well, there you go. And, you know, while we're going down that road, uh, as I recall, Centipede was partially uh, worked on by a lady, and that no, also no, that, that was she was that Centipede was designed. By a female designer, right? I, well, I don't think anything in Centipede is is female well, the, related. I think the color palette is absolutely. But that's something. a but that's design. Yeah, that's but, a but, whole different ball. Well, I'm just saying, if we're going to get on that road, uh, you know, there were plenty of games that let you pick between a man and a woman. Yeah, you know, back in the day, one that comes to mind, for example, was like uh, Hybris on the uh, on the Amiga, which is a game I was real fond of. But I will say, because and you've got to bring this game up when you go, go down this road. Really, the first like mega star that was a human and a lady uh, that was uh, uh, really jumped out of the page was was your Tomb Raider. I, I mean, it is what well, it Laura is. Laura Croft, of course. That's yeah. That's by far, in my opinion, the most popular female protagonist. Now, 
I want to bring this up uh, uh, because it's I think it deserves to be brought up. So you've got Laura Croft, the super right. the super sexy like a uh, British explorer. Okay, a lot of the we saw a lot of the super sexy lady characters back in the day, and we also now to be fair, we saw plenty of super sexy male characters too. Uh, do you think is what do you think of Laura Croft as a symbol? For the ladies in video games, is that do you think that's something that can be embraced, or is that something you kind of look at and you're like makes you a little uneasy to, in 2021? No, because Laura Croft is a deep character. Uh, if you follow her games and follow the lore, I mean, she has a lot going on for her outside of her appearance. She's independent. She's wealthy. She gets in there. She does the jobs herself, and she she it's not like she had a a perfect life by any means. And for me, if you're going to have a female protagonist or a male protagonist, a named protagonist, right? It, it's easy to have the blank slate. The the char- the player is the character, source of games, right? But if you're going to have a protagonist <coughs> that works off their gender, be it male or female, you have to have involved and deep characters. It has to make sense. Why is this... Per- Why did you put a female in a game or a male in the game if it doesn't make sense. And for Laura Croft, it makes sense. It makes sense that she's a female because that's how her character is written, and it's written well. It certainly goes more in-depth later into the games. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say because, I mean, when early on, th- there is no in-depth nothing. No, that's not she's true. Like- that's not true, even from her very first game because she... it. You get to play, you get to uh, go through the levels that are in her house, her training area, and she speaks. She isn't just a mute character, so she has, uh, she, you get a little bit of personality and backstory from that. So I don't agree. I'm not saying she was nearly as fleshed out as she was in later games. Well, but there was something there, and it wasn't just, oh, I'm a hot chick. I think that's a, that's a very, first of all, if that's your, your, main character design for having a female, that's garbage. Garbage. That's, Just as that's much as I'm it going. would be if it was a male. No, I don't I don't think that is why well, I mean if you'll female. if you'll recall, uh, of course I was around when Laura Croft debuted her sure. ceremonious debut. And Laura Croft was on the cover of all the magazines. She had bikini shoots. She was they did all kinds of Oh no of, they they definitely upplayed it. I'm not yeah. saying they didn't do that, but there was more to her character than just that. Well, I mean, I think they have flushed her out considerably more, uh, especially in the last uh, few Tomb Raiders, the more modern ones, and some of the older ones they did as well. But, I mean, she certainly was, uh, her sexuality was, was pushed to the forefront, and which this is a this is something that you see a lot in the female protagonists. Of course, we're looking right now, if you're watching the video, at the mother of all female protagonists, <laughs> If you if you remember that game, Top Banana, the worst game of all time, and it had the bizarre. But she was a lady, so I'm going to give her props uh, for uh, for being a lady protagonist. So, with all that said, and I, I'm going to say one more thing before you go, the the games that we chose, at least I can I can't speak for your game, but this would be if I had to pick uh, what I think of a lady protagonist in the best possible light. Uh, I'm gonna. I would pick the game that I chose. So, with all that said, well, now, I, I, just real quick, I want to yeah. run down a few games that I considered but did not pick. Oh yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil, 
probably one of the best female protagonists of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really high up on my list. That was the uh, uh, Xbox uh, original uh, Xbox early or launch release, wasn't it? I yeah. remember it was a big deal when it came out. And, and then it and, did okay. Uh, it did okay. Uh, uh, You've also got uh, the the I cannot recall her name uh, Eternal Darkness. Yeah. The the protagonist for that is a female character. The reason why I didn't pick that is you actually play multiple characters, but it it's all based <clears throat> on your starting female character, who you know is doing research and exploring and, and uh, trying to uncover the mystery of her grandfather. Perfect, perfect example of a female protagonist. I thought that worked really well. Uh, and there are many, many other games, many, many other games that come to mind that really do it well. There are tons, unfortunately. Uh, Chung Lee from Street Fighter 2 is a great female protagonist. She has a, a deep, rich backstory as well. Um, Leggy, also. Well, it, but see, that's the thing. Here's my... I When I have a choice between male or female gamers, right... When when I'm given a choice to choose the sex of my character, yeah, I split the bar fifty fifty. And I mm. used to be the kind of guy uh, in my youth that if I was playing a healer or uh, you know a a more support role, I'd pick a female. And if I was playing a a warrior fighter, I'd pick a male guy. I've gotten out of that because I've I've realized now uh, in my more adult life that. Picking a character based off a role is stupid. And I'm glad that video games have evolved and gotten past that point as well. That you can have your kick-butt female protagonist and you can have your uh, support male roles and gaming is better for it. Because they've stopped, they've stopped putting such a surface level... Uh, film on things and started actually digging down and giving characters personality. And I big thumbs up for gaming for that. Very progressive attitude, the brand I'd I'd say on the flip side, being the crusty old bum I am, I'll, I generally I'll pick them based on the hotness. Although I will say I do agree with what you're saying. There's nothing wrong though. Uh, being a red blooded American boy like myself to, uh, have a, have a look at some of these hot computer chicks. It's the way it is. But I agree with everything you said. Good stuff. Now, with all that said, and with you undermined by me, let's move down the line here to our games this week. And I believe, Brent, you said you wanted to lead the dance. What have you got for us this week? Yeah, I, I chose a uh, female protagonist that I actually was not very privy to. It was something that I, I learned along the way. And I chose Perfect Dark for the Nintendo 64. Mm. whose uh, main character is Joanna Dark. I want to go in the game first, and then we'll go into the character herself. Uh, Perfect Dark was a follow-up by Rare, released in uh, middle of 2000 for the N64, and it was sort of a spiritual successor to Goldeneye. Perfect Dark actually had the opportunity to expand on the James Bond universe. And they said, you know what? No, we don't want to do that. We want to go a different direction. And one of the main reasons why they wanted to go a different direction was they wanted to tell their own story, first of all. And they wanted to introduce a female character in the main role. They had spent plenty of time with James Bond and GoldenEye. And they wanted to do... They wanted to keep the spirit 
of James Bond, but they wanted to have their own character, their own control, their own setting. And Perfect Dark is different in so many ways and the same in some ways. Uh, instead of being set in in what would be modern day, you know, normal Earth setting, Perfect Dark puts you into the future and has you in a world where aliens have come to the planet and there are two alien races that are uh, on the planet and basically living with humans, uh, some in secret, some more out in the wild. And it's set in a sci-fi universe. And on top of the aliens that are out and about, you have almost a uh, Blade Runner-esque cyberpunk setting where you have two major corporations that sort of uh, incorporate everything, you know, they kind of control things. And your role as Joanna Dark is to help one of these corporations. You kind of sign with one mainly so the other one doesn't become too powerful and achieve their goals. And you do this, the very first mission is you go in and you're trying to save this scientist that is uh, uh, important to the other people and the bad aliens getting their super weapon out of the ocean. Uh, apparently there was a weapon that had crashed down to Earth, sunk to the very depths of the ocean, and they wanted to pull this weapon back out and start using it. And it was unknown to Earth at the time that they were, they were the first thing they were going to do was blow Earth away with it. And then they were going to go and attack the, the aliens that they were uh, uh, at war with on the global, you know, on, on a, uh, a galaxy-wide scene. So the gameplay is a whole lot like Goldeneye. And, and, and even though they only use 30% of the engine from Goldeneye, the the hallmarks marks are all there. When you shoot an enemy, if you shoot them in the knee or if you shoot them in the shoulder, they react properly. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have over 40 animations of depending where you shoot a person, which I love that kind of thing. That's the best part of the game, if in my opinion. Yes. My particular favorites hit a guy in the groin. I also, hit, I like it when they go, I dropped my gun. That's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> my gun. They, they're a lot more chatty in this. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, you can have enemies will have their weapons jam. And the enemies you're fighting look humanoid. But for the most part, uh, they are... Uh, the Skeldar, which are reptilian aliens that can cloak themselves to look human. Uh, further you get into the game, you actually start picking up alien technology, alien guns. Uh, you go, after you stop them from getting the massive weapon, this is some spoilers, uh, after you stop them from getting the massive weapon, you actually team up with the quote-unquote good aliens, uh, the greys, the very traditional gray type aliens and you go to the the bad guys homeworld and you kill their their uh, high priestess which effectively ends the war so you get to travel through all kinds of crazy locales every stage is very unique all the music in this game is absolutely top flight some of the best music the n64 ever produced um now gameplay with all the good, there is bad. And for this game, the frame rate can get really 
bad, really low. And this isn't just an emulator thing. This was even back on the N64. This was one of the games, one of the few games that required the RAM expansion (laughs) that you plugged into the back of the the Nintendo. (laughs) Yeah, I found that Uh, out the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll get into that. So this was, uh, but it, they really pushed the the engine and they pushed the game way farther than Goldeneye had taken it. And you could tell this was a labor of love. Now, unfortunately, during development of this, uh, Rare pushed their staff too hard, which caused a lot of infighting on the team and a lot of people quit. Uh, and those who didn't quit, as soon as the game was done, they... 13 people branched off and said, you know what? Screw you, I'm out of here, and started their own company. But that's a tale for another time. So just off of that, Aaron, what did you think of the gameplay elements of Perfect Dark? Believe it or not, I own this game. <laughs> if you can believe it. I actually own this for N64. Now, my copy's lent out, but I've got I've got the N64 here. with the, If I played this on the N64 this week, which is why I had to go dig up the memory thing for it. <laughs> um, listen. This plays way better on N64 controller, by the way. Well, that's the reason. I wanted to make sure I was using the controller, but nothing plays good on one of those. But but Boat had got me this new controller, so I, it was it was nice. Anyways, uh, this is one of the all-time most violent games I've ever seen in my life. It is nonstop shit. It's a nonstop, 100% full-on, full-court kill fest. In the very first level, you roll through this office and you're gunning suckers down at their desk. People are just standing in their office. You're gunning them. You're shooting people. There, you can shoot people when they're on the ground. Yeah. You can shoot. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, like Joanna Dark is a heartless killing machine. Like, I mean, it's got an auto uh, aiming gimmick, and it, it helps. Yeah, it, yeah, it helps. And you, and, but I mean, it's That's real. This. It's a tight. I mean, it's. <laughs> I almost felt bad for the computer. I felt like James Bond as I walked through the offices, just slaughtering suckers at an alarming rate. I mean, you're killing people and they're not even looking up from their computer desk. They're sitting well, there. I felt bad for them. You don't I have mean, to kill anyone who doesn't have the gun. You didn't have to kill. But, but uh, although it is, it's kind of funny. The very first guy you come across, because they drop you off at the top of this corporate building. Yeah. And the very first guy you come across is a guard, right? And if you don't just shoot him immediately, he, you know, he's like, hey, stop. And he tries to shoot you. But if you don't shoot him immediately, his gun will jam. And as he's trying to unjam it, he'll drop it. And then, then he's just basically standing there like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, well... I I'm not I did not get super far into this game because it's this is not my bag per se especially with the controller and I will say the controller boat got me is awesome but this game these so these this the control method I'm I'm more of a mouse and keyboard guy for these sorts of games and I, I I've read some several people talking about how well this plays emulated when you set it up with the a traditional uh, you know Windows scheme for control which I can imagine it would be pretty good. Yeah, uh, the, you can emulate mouse and keyboard on this. They have done that. But I, so I'm not going to sit here and critique the whole game because I didn't get all that far into it. But I've played it before uh, this week, and I went back to it. I will say I, I did better than I did before with it. But it is, uh, 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 let's just say I played this after I played mine, and the sh- I was it was a shocking. Uh, it was like going from hot to cold water when I <laughs> the amount of the amount of carnage. 
that I laid out. If you want to play a game that makes you feel like death incarnate, like this is the game for you. It is very Goldeneye-like. You know, you can tell the same crew did it, and you can tell some of the engine elements, but they have they progressed a lot from there. Now, of course, I like James Bond, so I'm kind of more intimate with that franchise than I am this one. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, you have to also come to grips that this is on an N64. Yeah. And so you're going to hear, like, I mean, I will say for an N64 game, this has a, a decent amount of voice. Absolutely. In it. Now, there you reuse, like, you'll hear a guy go, help, help. Help, it's the same sample like five times in a row. <laughs> so you have to get used to stuff like that. The music is as good as you could probably do on an N64. It's awesome, yeah. I mean, the music well, I mean, the music could be outstanding, okay? Well, yeah, but, it I mean, is it's limited, limited by the hardware. So it's There's like no what doubt. it reminded me of. It's like, remember, I've made this comment on Amigos a few times when we play some old PC stuff. People love those old ad-lib cards. Well, newsflash, those things suck, okay? I hate to tell people that because you got that dopey, PC MIDI noise that came out of them that some people, I don't know, they crave it. I don't know why, but because I mean, there's the Amiga, for example, or even the C64. But all that said, this is like a step up from that. I, I like, like MIDI sounds. Well, I, I, this was like someone that was a real talented artist did like they squeezed every ounce of, of good sound they could out of this. So I will say that yeah. this is not my type of game. Uh, and I, I will say the alien plot. I went ahead and watched the video as this they went forward, and the aliens. I don't like any of that. I'll be honest. I don't like the sci-fi. I'd rather it be more modern or slight, like more of a. I don't need. I, that's not. I'm not. Doesn't interest me that much. To be honest with you, but uh, all that said, I mean it's a good playing game if this is your type of game. I think. Well, the 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 I'm, I sort of agree. I'm not a huge. This type of sci-fi. I I like when you go sci-fi. You go full sci-fi. Like absolute craziness but this gets there and the the sci-fi sort of cyberpunk ish very light cyberpunk light uh setting works well with the game and, and they at least they do a lot with it they give you lots of crazy gadgets the enemies really take advantage of the alien type technology later in on the game uh and the weapons also there's tons of weapons in this game tons and tons and tons and something else that I've I've got to mention, I've absolutely got to mention. This has a two-player co-op on the N64, where two people can go through the entire game co-op. That's crazy. Uh, you can I, I hear play. it's extremely laggy to do that. It's it, it, it's rough. It's certainly rough. Uh, you can play with a co-op computer player, although uh, they they suck. I yeah, will. I, I I did. This is not try like it, chaos heard they stink. Yeah, they're. I did try it. No, they're no good. <laughs> they get uh, killed instantly, like they're insta dead, and then you. And so they're almost pointless to even bother. You you can also uh, play deathmatch, and there's there's multiple types of capture the flag type games. They really expanded on the multiplayer elements of it uh, to great success. This was a highly highly rated game for the N sixty four. I'm talking. Uh, 95%, 97%, 9 out of 10s, uh, several 10 out of 10 ratings. And you you have to remember, in 64, this kind of stuff, while it was being done on computer, it was not being done on console. Uh, and they really pushed console uh, hardware to its incredible limits. And the game looks okay. It looks okay. You have to remember when it came out. Yeah. Uh, 
It's about as good as you're going to get, I think. It, it, absolutely. Absolutely. So with all that said, I want to go and take a, a, a deep dive on Jonah Dark herself, uh, the, the protagonist of the game. Because this is a rare opportunity, no pun intended, where Jonah Dark went beyond her games. Uh, she was such a beloved character that they were able to take and put her into novels, into comic books. There were tales of a movie that were that would happen that never actually materialized. But because of that, we get this very dip, deep and, and rich character development. Jonah Dark, uh, her mother died in childbirth, and her father was very militant, which made her upbringing very harsh. She was an incredibly bright, incredibly gifted woman, and she was very skilled because her father pushed her so hard, and she resented her for it, and it, it actually brought flaw to the character. Uh, she's someone who she, she desperately wants uh, approval. She desperately wants uh, uh, people to notice that she's done a good job. That sort of character flaw. And because of that, it pushes her to do things out, outside of human norm. Uh, there, there are tales that she was brutally wounded in, in battle and was able to push herself because she didn't want to let people down. But it's it's not the good part of not wanting to le let people down. It's a character flaw of being so afraid of what people would think of her. She did not have a normal childhood, of course. You know, when you're you're being brought up by a a, a militant father, uh, it's, it was a very harsh childhood, and it goes deeper than that to where eventually uh, she gets pushed into the role that she's currently in. She joined as, up with her father to do missions. She scored a perfect score in her uh, trials, which is why she has the uh, uh, perfect in her name, Perfect Dark. Uh, and it has a very well-rounded character. When you have a character, you can't just have perks. You have to have flaws as well, and it's something that they did really well with. And it makes her very likable. Uh, it may relatable. She's not, is she attractive? Yes, but she's not supermodel attractive. She was never meant to be. She was supposed to be more of an average looking female uh, of particular talent. So big thumbs up for all the character development they did with her. Uh, and behind some of the behind the scenes things, the name Jonah Dark is taken from Joan of Arc. So that's kind of neat. And <laughs> as goes, uh, whenever you have a character that you don't have full control of, in later games, uh, Perfect Dark Zero, they changed their character to be this more hot female, more... Yeah, those, edgy, that sucked. Those and, suck. And it was uh, uh, brutally panned by the general gaming public. And so much so that that kind of got retconned. They don't really go off of that uh, that side of her, and it's good. Uh, a few things to, to double up on. If you were wanting to play Perfect Dark, uh, I would actually recommend playing it on the Xbox 360. Yeah. They had a remaster of the game 
uh, where they they cleaned up the visuals, they cleaned up uh, some of the sound, but most importantly, they cleaned up the frame rate, which is by far the worst part of this game. It looks jarringly better on the Xbox 360. I mean, it is. You can also emulate this and really crank up that. You could, you know, really crank up the resolution. But the 360 version, I saw some side by sides, and man, it's a, it's a whole different level of of. Well, absolutely. You know, that's a decade later too. Yeah. So you you have you know, it's not that the N64 was bad. It's just that, you know, technology progressed. But I enjoyed my time with Jonah Dark. I enjoyed learning about her. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go as far as to start reading the novels, but I might flip through some of the comics. Uh, I think she's a very compelling character. And I, I'll i have to say, uh, I learned a lot that I didn't know about her from doing the research for this episode. I, uh, I Again, this is not the kind of game I would sit down and play. It's just, I don't have a violence problem, but this is... This was this was crazy. I mean, you know, I don't know, part of it makes you feel like real tough. It's okay. I mean, I like the game. Uh, I'm not going to badmouth it. I mean, I, I do own it. So, I mean, it's 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 a it's a neat game. On the N64, it's a standout title. Absolutely. On a system that doesn't have like loads and loads of standouts, I'd say this is at the top. Uh, and uh, a fun game. I I I, I found it uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the Brent. Uh, did you, how did this thing do review? That was it fairly. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, it was off the charts. Yeah, ten out and, of tens. Uh, uh, nine out of tens. High ninety five percentage. I great. did not eBay this, but if you want to entertain the crowd for a moment, I will look it up. Well, I will say we didn't get any reviews on this particular uh, game, uh, and this one's uh, it's not the easiest thing. It's a little more modern than a lot of our stuff. Although I'm going to get even more modern still. I'm not sure how many people. Uh, I know the N64 has a big scene now in terms of people buying them, but I wonder, I always wondered how many people actually sit around and play in these things anymore. The N64 is one of those systems I don't drag out all that much uh, because I, there weren't a ton of games on it I liked, and also just the controllers are just the, the, the dirt worse. But I know people love it. You know, you're I don't. You're I don't fan, love the N64 controller, yeah. but I... Uh, that's a reason. That's another reason I don't play this that much, just because I don't like the controls all that much. It's not the, it's not the game's fault. It did the best they could, you know? I I understand why they did what they did. I My favorite controller of all time for control pads is the, the Xbox 360. So I that's what I tried to play it on, and it yeah. was very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, even after setting that. the controls up as well as I could, it was very difficult. Yeah. It was made for an N64 controller. Uh, this cart can be had uh, for as little as $9. Oh, wow. Um, now, with that, you're going to have to supply your own memory card, which is required for the game. But for that kind of entry price, this is a no-brainer. And... Although I highly, like I said before, I highly recommend checking it out on the Xbox, the remastered version, uh, especially if the N64 controller isn't your thing. I agree. Or emulate it and use that mouse and keyboard. Then I think you could really have something uh, with all that said. So, good stuff, the Brent. Uh, that was perfect dark. I would say when you picked that one, it had been a while since I played it. And, uh, Man, like I said, it was a quite a jarring experience to play in the game I chose this week. So I just guess I'll go ahead and get into <laughs> it. The game, you know, when we when this came up, this category, this game jumped into my head, which yeah. is funny because I've never been like the big, but we'd actually, I think I just talked about it the week before, 
I was never the biggest cheerleader for this game because it's just one of those games that I was always in the back of my head, but I sort of thought everybody knew about it. Uh, but, man, for this category, I couldn't pick any other game. So the game I chose uh, this week was, bam, it was Mirror's Edge, Brent. Mirror's Edge, a newer game by our standards, but in actuality, it's a game that's like 13 years old. So yeah. it's not that new. So uh, Mirror's Edge, uh, developed by DICE, uh, that's Digital Illusions CE. Uh, they were res- work They work for EA. Uh, if they're, uh, they're pretty much REA. And they are best known, Brent, for the Battlefields, you know, the Battlefield series. They also did a couple of those Need for Speed games. They did some of the FIFA games, uh, stuff like that. But their they're bread and butter are the Battlefield games. Uh, this was released uh, on November 12, 2008 for uh, the Xbox uh, 360 and the PlayStation. And then a couple months later, it came out on, uh, w- on Windows. I ended up playing the Windows version. I got it off Steam. Uh, which is the way to go. 20 bucks uh, takes you to the house on that one. So, uh, this was, of course, I mentioned it was done by the Dice Studio guys. So, get this. I, I looked over to see who did, who were the big dogs that worked on this were. Uh, the senior producer was a guy named Owen O'Brien, who did Eve. He did a couple of the Battlefields, a couple of the Harry Potters, and he was also involved in Dungeon Keeper 2. So, he goes back a ways. The senior development director was Cinta Jacobson, who uh, worked on uh, Battlefield Heroes, Crisis 2, and Crash Tag Team Racing, which is a pretty fun game. The producer was a fellow named Thomas Farrer, who worked on Battlefield 2. And then, get this, uh, the lead designer, Thomas Anderson, I knew that name because aside from the fact that he worked on all the battlefields, he also worked on an Amiga game called Benefactor that me and Boat covered. He also worked on Band Pinball Illusions, brother. So Mm. you know it's solid gold. Because this game was made, and I believe it was made in Sweden. Uh, and the art director, Johan uh, Sodergvist, uh, also worked on the Battlefield series, plus the Star Wars games, the Star Wars Battlefronts. Uh, so you had, a, you had a bunch of people working on this that knew what they were doing. The genesis of this game is interesting to me. I, I kind of took a deep look into it. And the widely regarded and, and well-known tale is that the people at DICE we're like, you know, we've we've got the Battlefield games. What else we got? You know, we, we our back catalog's a little one-sided here. And so we need to branch out into something different. And so Absolutely. what they decided to do was take a different route. And Mirror's Edge was the end result. They wanted a less violent, less war-based game with a female protagonist. And that's where Mirror's Edge came from. That's them wanting to diversify their portfolio. Not the worst idea, by the way, uh, the Brent, to have a little something extra in the background. Now, I want to take you back a few Bond flicks back. And we're going to talk about Bond again, because both these games have a Bond connection. Uh, There was a movie when they... The first Daniel Craig movie was called Casino Royale, Brent. I'm guessing you have not seen Casino Royale. Oh, yeah, I have. Oh, have you? Both of them. It had a fair... Oh, man. The Woody Allen one, even holy smokes! So, but uh, Casino Royale had a scene in it uh, that was uh, it resonates to this day. And it was what it was was a a free running scene between Daniel Craig and this a guy he was chasing, and it was a scene like you'd never seen in a film before because it introduced the world to free running. Uh, and what you had there, a parkour, if you will, 
Uh, and it was a real hit. Like, this was one of the big parts of the movie. And so uh, the fellows at DICE saw this. They were like, hey, wait a minute. This looks. This is something we could work with, you know. And so they, they cite that scene in Casino Royale as, as well as some of the Bourne films as being uh, sort of the basis for what they decided to do. Hmm. Uh, the game the game is powered on the Unreal 3 engine, which is a, <laughs> powers a lot of games. Of course, it's been heavily modified uh, to, to run this game. So the, they wanted to have a game that involved the par- parkour or the free running. So how do you do that in a game? And, and they wanted to do it in the, in the area that they're based in, which is the first-person perspective. Well, that's a tall order. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about how challenging uh, to even think about doing something like that. So what they came up with was a was a uh, in terms of the play field. This we're not getting into the plot yet. This is just why the play field looks like it does. When you play Mirror's Edge, it takes place in this cityscape that is very bright white and lots of whites, lots of oranges, right? Uh, and what and the reason that, that the city looks like that it actually works well with the plot that was that they came up with for this was because that this game features a runner's vision style uh, gameplay, which means uh, things that you need to do to perform your next parkour maneuver will be highlighted in red. Okay, and so you'll know way off. You can see them sometimes. Sometimes they just light up right when you get near them. Uh, but you can tell what you need to do to start activating the next section of the free run. And they wanted this color to contrast heavily with the rest of the background so you could see it. And so that's one of the reasons why you have those white, all the white elements in the game. And one of the elements you hardly see at all in the game is any greens. They don't, there's very little green in the game. Again, they, they did some, they did some, uh, you know, they did some looks here. Uh, to try to figure out that how the human brain works. This is some deep stuff, Brent, that that, that they did to get this uh, to get uh, through the uh, process. And then, of course, there are elements in the game. Of course, the whole time you're in the game, you don't actually see your character uh, for the most part, unless you see mirrors or something, or, or in the cutscenes. Right. And, you see and, your arms, your yeah, legs, right. that sort of thing. But what you and so this game has no heads up display. There's no there's no health meter. There's no mad nothing. Uh. This is another key element that makes this game unique. Uh, when you get hurt, you can tell. Trust me, the screen, kind of a, a ring of red forms around the screen. The city sort of gets off color a little bit. And the more hurt you get, the more you can tell. Another element to the game that I personally like is the fact that when you uh, when you do something that gets you killed, uh, it just pops you back to the next checkpoint. And the checkpoint, checkpoints are very... Uh, they're they're all over the place, and what this does, it allows you. This is a game where you're not going to run through it the first time you play it. You're going to fail over and over, but the game is honing your skills, and uh, it doesn't punish you greatly for messing up because uh, that would be that would be too big a turnoff. It le- it lets you try over and over because the the maneuvers you're going to be pulling off in this game are not easy. Often they're very complex moves that require you to uh, understand the basics of movement and how your character uh, works, jumps, the various moves she's got, and you're gonna it's, you're gonna re- uh, have to do them over and over. Yeah, and this really, uh, at its core, you could call this a a uh, platform puzzler because yeah. sometimes Absolutely. getting from point A from to point B, you might see where point B is, 
but getting there might be a complete mystery. Yeah. So you're right. It doesn't it doesn't harshly punish uh, trial and error. And it's a lot like trials, the motorcycle game. It's very similar in yeah. that fact that you can see what you've got to do, and it's not going to make you suffer on the times that you mess up. Uh, and so that, that which is a, for me now I, that may be a tough for some people, but for me, someone that myself. I, I, this is one of the things I like about the game the most because I don't want to have to play the same level 50 times. I don't mind playing the same section 50 times until I get it right because that's yeah. the game. Um, let's talk about the game, the game's plot, okay? Because the plot of this game I find quite interesting. Uh, you play a you play a courier called Faith uh, in this sort of, and and this future is described half it's half dystopian, half. Uh, uh, Mama state, like lots of overseeing cameras everywhere, uh, and they what they've done to society is made it uh, uh, quite peaceful, quite clean, quite beautiful. But the expense of freedoms, freedom of thought, uh, of freedom to do what you want, expression and in this, there is it, no more artistic expression. And the funny thing is, in a, in a city, in a, in a with a dark plot like that, you would think there would be a a very dark environment but it's actually the exact opposite in spades it's a very uh, beautiful well-lit bright Clean. environment lots of like so lots of whites lots of oranges just the beautiful skies you know the the beauty of this game is the beauty i mean it's a gorgeous game and so but underneath that veil of beauty is a very rotten core and you play faith who is a courier in in this future there are still a few people a few corporations a few business people that adhere to the old ways, the ways we know. And they often require couriers to move their uh, messages and whatnot back and forth across town. And that's where people like Faith come in, runners that, will, that are masters of the art of running, that will run back and forth and take these messages and stuff back and forth across the city. Because you can't trust cell phones or telephones or, or, any, or email, any of that stuff. You, it's, if you want something done discreetly, you have to you have to physically do it, and that's that's what what they do. And Faith, uh, it's an interesting character uh, of Asian descent. She's a uh, she's a very slight character uh, with kind of like these baggy clothes, and perfect the perfect character for not only for the job because you're going to be doing you have to have the ultimate cardio to do a job like a courier, but you but she also has the right attitude. And her attitude is get the job done. Don't try not to confront people. But if you do confront them, you know really the the difference between her and Joanna Dark. Joanna Dark is clipping suckers at the desk, clipping suckers in the can. She's clipping suckers everywhere. Like in this whole game, you can easily go through the game and not kill anyone. Uh, and, and you could really and the you there are guns, but the, given the fact that you're someone who has to run and jump stuff. The guns are effectively worthless because you've got to use your hands all the time. The guns run out of ammo quickly. And so they're not something I don't think I've ever fired a gun in this at all. I know there's oh, a couple. Oh, yes, you have. If you've gotten any distance. Well, I mean, there are points in the game where you have to shoot glass, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but uh, there's not a lot. Most of the, most of the fighting is done with, like, you know, with punches and kicks. And she's just trying to get some. I mean, occasionally you'll kick a guy off a building, something like that. Well, he yeah, the the game gives you the option. Uh, yeah. the at its core, the the gameplay is broken up into sections. And your sections are how do you traverse this 
building or gap or section and roll some gameplay footage if you got there. Yeah. And if you uh, run into an enemy during that time, you can either avoid them when possible, you can disarm them and then you know knock them out or whatever, or you can shoot them. And there are times in the game where shooting them is the more... Uh, it's the easier answer. When you've got... Uh, confronted with a lot of enemies, it's easier to just get one of their guns and shoot them, but the game never requires you to do that. I never do it. I never, maybe it's just the the atmosphere, but I mean, I never pick up weapons when I play. I just, I just run, and because you don't, like I said, I like that element, and this is, of course, this is DICE wanting to get away from those, you know, their violent war games, and right. some, uh, something different. But the point I was going to make was, once you get through a segment, you discard the gun. You right. because you have to have your hands to continue the the traversing that you're doing. So you can never just grab a machine gun and, and take it through the entire level. It doesn't work like that. And that's a very unique gameplay element that I enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as a courier, you normally you just do your job and and there's sort of an understanding with the police in town they just sort of for the longest they just sort of let this sort of thing go yeah uh, but all of a sudden things heat up and uh, you find out that grace or that uh, uh that faith has a sister kate who works for the police ironically and kate ends up uh getting framed for the murder of a uh candidate a mayoral candidate who was looking to change the system you know this is a, a good candidate that got was killed and the game uh, spirals into a, a drama of you trying to prove your sister's innocence while trying to stay alive. And you go in through a, a, a really deep plot uh, uh, in the game. I should mention that as you run, you've got a, a guy in your ear and he is your handler. He's called Merc. He's actually the one that got Faith into the, into the, uh, into the business of being a courier. And he will tell, he'll give you hints. He'll tell you when the cops are coming. He'll tell you where to look for doors and stuff. It's pretty neat. I like that album because you never feel alone. You've always got this guy in your ear almost always. Uh, You also run into some of, uh, you have another friend, Sal, who who is uh, another courier. You'll run into some couriers that you used to know, like a fellow, this is a fellow called Jack Knife, who ends up being a pretty pivotal part of the game. Uh, And there are lots of different elements to the game. Now, there are you get to a point where there is some sameness in the backgrounds and stuff because I mean it's an urban environment so you're going to be seeing a lot of the same type of buildings and 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 the same sorts of uh, areas you have to go around but they do mix up the game quite a bit with a lot of different elements uh, in terms of how you get from place to place. There's an excellent sequence uh, the brand where you go down into the sewers in the in the like the down in the underneath the city which I really thought that was uh, super duper neat. There's uh the the scenes in this are action packed. You can sit down and just watch this like a film. I mean, it really is interesting to watch uh, a pro go through these. They included a time trial element to this game where you can actually go and run these for speed runs, and I believe it was pretty popular back in the day. I don't know if anybody's still doing it or not. The Brent. Oh, absolutely, they are. But the speed yeah. run element is neat, and you can even download other people's speed runs. So you see their ghosts run along the screen. And they kind of tell you how to. Uh, you can watch what they do and learn, which is that's kind of a neat element to it. Um, I don't want to get into the plot too much because it's one you're one going to go through and play. But I will say I, I enjoyed I, I I played as far as I could get, and then I watched the end of it. I was really impressed 
uh, with the voice acting in this thing solid and the uh, the graphics of this thing, I would say, are top shelf. I, I, it's one of the prettiest games I've ever seen uh, to this day. Uh, the, now, uh, I want to jump in here, Aaron. Okay. I have a long history with, with Mirror's Edge. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the one of the games for the 360 that I anticipated its release. I pre-ordered, and I never do that. I pre-ordered the game. Uh, and when I got it, I, I even own the uh, yellow uh, courier bag that came with one of the pre-release bonuses. Uh, I still own it to this day. I know exactly where it is in my house, and that's that's saying something. Yeah. And uh, when I got this game, when you first start playing Mirror's Edge, it can be incredibly frustrating. Uh, you feel like you're not making jumps that you should. You feel like uh, Faith should be grabbing things when she doesn't. And it's hard. It's hard to get used to this sort of game, especially back when... I mean, not a, not many games have ever done this type of perspective uh, before or since, but uh, it was such a new concept. Yeah. And I wanted to get good at Mirror's Edge. And I did get good at Mirror's Edge. I was I was never a speedrunner, nothing like that. But I could go through levels and flow. And, and when you have the flow, when you're going from just uh, set piece to set piece, <clears throat> jump to jump, and it all looks and feels good, it's an amazing experience that you almost cannot get anywhere else in gaming. Yeah, uh, It's such a unique feel. And it takes time and it takes effort to get to that point. So I, I if someone sends up to me, and I love Mirror's Edge. I love Mirror's Edge. I love the game. But if someone came up to me and says, Mirror's Edge, man, I don't like that game. I'm not going to even try to convince them otherwise. Because this is not a game that's going to appeal to everyone. And if you get it, if you like it, awesome. We can talk about all the different ways we... Uh, progressed and the story elements and stuff like that. But if you say, you know what, not my kind of game, I'm. You can't convince someone to like Mirror's Edge. I will convince. I will encourage people to give it a try because it is such a unique gameplay element. But if you give it a try, you have to be in it for the long haul. You have to be willing to put forth the effort to get to the point where you are just flowing through these environments. The time trail levels, I've, I've beat the game every way possible. I've beat it pacifist. I've beat it going full guns a-blazing, trying to get super high kill counts. I've beat it uh, uh, quickly. At, and then you get to go to, or you can play them at any time, but you get to play all of these uh, courses that are just point A to point B. It has nothing to do with the storyline. It's a whole separate part of the game, and you try to do it as fast as possible. And I would run through these courses over and over and over and over and try to get better at it. If it's your game, it is an absolute 10 out of 10 game. If it's not your game, you can certainly say this is one of the worst games of all time. And both those people are correct. And that is a very rare thing to say about a game. 
well, I don't know. I don't know if you could say it's the worst game of all time because even if you don't mesh with it, you can see the quality just by looking at it, whether you're good at it or not. And the, one of the neat things about this game, despite the fact you don't see your own character running around, there's often times where you're even in the opening sequence where you're training after you come back from an injury. It's sort of how they teach you all the moves. You get to watch your friend do the courses in front of you, and it's awesome. To, just to watch. You can just watch yeah. them go. And if you watch that and think to yourself, man, I'm doing that. You know, that's what I'm doing here. And it really makes it, a, it's a, it's, it is, you get into that flow. It's, it's, it's a feeling you don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever gotten it of another game when you really get it going. Uh, and you will, I mean, I think if you stick with this and listen, you know me, I'm not that great at certain games like this. And I actually, I'm halfway decent at it now after playing it on and off for the, you know, for the past week. And I, of course I'd played it a little bit before, uh, but it is a good game. I do recommend the PC version of this now because they say it's the best looking. And I will say it looked great and it played great. I didn't have any trouble. I used an Xbox 360 controller on it. It didn't have yeah. any trouble at all. Yeah, that's what it's set up for. Um, this game took two years to complete. It, they, it had two and a half hours of original music in it. It was a big enterprise. They really put a lot into it. Uh, they often they also cited that the American TV series Firefly and Serenity were also... Uh, partially responsible for the direction they took and some of the feelings, which it, I can understand that. Although Absolutely. I will say to me, it was a little more, it reminded me a little more of a, something like a, a, a cowboy bebop or a, I mean, the, the Merc sounds just like uh cowboy bebops. One of the key characters in that. And also a little bit like uh, uh, if you've ever watched ghost in the shell standalone complex where you've got, cause she's often got someone in her ear, which she's run. That sort of reminded me of that too. I think faith since we're talking about pro female protagonists, is a great example of a, a great, original, powerful female protagonist. Listen, Faith's trying to do the right thing. She's lost faith in the system, no pun intended. Her sister, who's a cop, they've screwed her over. Like, her friends have screwed her over. Uh, her you know, her, mo her mom died in a, in, in a protest. You know, so she's got a bone to pick with the current government. You know, and, uh, and one of the ultimate... Uh, things about this game that makes it interesting is to get to the point if you get all the way through the game even the ending of this game without giving anything away uh you could you i mean you can quote unquote win but even the government here because they're so powerful they basically turn your win into a loss at the end of, if you listen through the credits it's a very interesting it's compelling to think about the society that she lives in uh, and so under under the backdrop of this i think it's a, a real interesting plot now there are some parts of the plot I think get kind of stupid or samey. Uh, there's a part, some parts I could have done without. But, I mean, for the most part, I think it flows around quite nicely. I wish it had a little more variance on the on the environments that you free run in. But, I mean, still, even if you do the same stuff over and over, like Brent said, you can run the same thing a million times. There are different ways to approach it. Uh, the critics of this, were, for the most part, were positive, but they weren't all positive. And one of the negatives they had on it, was the fact that uh, it got it? They just thought it was uh, too linear. Like there wasn't enough choice, uh, and it is not a game where you're not gonna you're not just gonna walk all over the city. I mean, and also you're almost perpetually running. In fact, you are because you're almost perpetually being chased by the cops or something like that. So, uh, you know, this is not a game where you're gonna stroll around and look at the scenery. In fact, it's amazing all the scenery that they generated that you just run right past. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to comment real quick on on Faith as a character. I by no means do I think she's a bad character, but I think that instead of developing the character faith, they developed the world. And I don't see faith as a tremendous standout in her world 
as much as the world has made her who she is. And that's that's not that's fine, right? That's fine. I wish because Faith is a very loyal, loyal to her friends, loyal to her family, and that's a huge sticking point for her. And you get some feeling about how she feels about other things throughout the game. But I personally would have liked to have seen her more fleshed out. And as much as I loved Mirror's Edge, I have never played any of the sequels. I don't know why. That's It's odd. Well, but, I, uh, I didn't get into the sequels too much. I know uh, that it did have a sequel. It's funny, this game was released... I should mention that when the game came out, they had predicted they would move 3 million units across all platforms. And through a lawsuit, we found out that they moved about 2.5 million units. So it underperformed by their uh, standards. Lofty standards. It still did well, but it didn't. And the thing is, it came off. They had every reason to believe it would be a huge hit. Uh, It won all sorts of awards at, at E3. It won uh, Best Original Game. It won all kinds of awards before it was released. And then when it got released, it got nominated for some stuff, but it didn't. It wasn't like something that was like Ballyhoo, like you would think it would be. Yeah. Uh, the, the critics of it, uh, like uh, I'm looking over the scores here. CVG gave it a 9 out of 10. Edge Magazine, which I liked Edge, they only gave this a 5 out of 10. That's uh, ridiculous. Well, they had their reasons. GameStop, 7 out of 10. IGN, 7.3. Uh, you had PC uh, Gamer gave it 8.5. You had a lot of lower scores than you would expect. And I think this game has came back and become more popular since it was released than it was when it was released. And I think I think the gameplay was... I think the gameplay elements and how it worked was lost on a lot of people when it was released. This, like you said, you're not just going to hop out. This isn't like Joe, uh, Perfect Dark, where you just go in guns blazing and feel like a million bucks. I mean, it takes some work to get good at a game like this, but that's what makes the game great. Because once you get good at it, you really feel it. Um, and anyway. it's, it's kind of unfortunate that it, it didn't do uh, as well as it could have. Uh, I know that we found out through our, our Discord pay, uh, members that there was a Game Boy Advanced portion of this that was going to be a 2D scroller. Yeah, And you might think, 2D scroller, doesn't that completely get away from what the game was. Uh, and for that, I, I would like to turn your attention to a mobile game called Vector that did exactly that. They took a, a Mirror's Edge free-running gameplay and turned it 2D, and it is incredible. I highly re- I recommend checking out Vector. It's an older game. You can play it on pretty much any phone you own. Uh, but the 2D free-runner is, is a very doable thing and it's a lot of fun well i mean th- i believe that this actually got a some sort of a, a, a marginal sequel on the phones mirror's edge had a phone release sort of a phone release sequel i read somewhere so no it, also... it was in development but it got canceled oh really i thought yeah. it actually got released mm-hmm. uh the game brent mentioned earlier was the sequel mirror's edge catalyst and of course here's yeah. what happened in this one it's a reboot that explores the new origin story for Faith. This is a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. It's sort of what happened to Joanna Dark. It's exactly. I mean, they, they said well, prequel, it, you know. Except for Joanna Dark, they 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 said, oh, we're going to tell some of her story, and then they didn't tell the right story. <laughs> you know, so. before, we, before we take this to the house, I want to ask you, one of the things this game has are animated cutscenes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was reading that the reason they they farmed out these cutscenes to an animation studio because they uh, uh, they were had no experience doing two D cutscenes at Dice, which I thought was <laughs> they make this game. You know, what were your these cutscenes sort of are very divisive. What did you think of the cutscene animations? I mean, I don't mean the story elements because I like that, but I mean the animation itself. What did you think of it? I, I accepted them. Yeah. I mean, it's funny for the animation. <laughs> the animation is far, far less impressive than the actual in-game graphics. Yeah, and occasionally well, they'll stylized. use those. Well, they're, they're stylized, stylized, but I, I'm like you. I like, I thought sometimes they were okay, but I mean, they could have just rendered the cutscenes in-game, and it would have been fine without action. But I mean, I do like the fact that they had animated cutscenes. But I kind of, I kind of wish they would have. With the either the anim, I mean, I like stylized. I could see what they were going for, but it, it wasn't my favorite. I'll I'll be honest with you. Um, anyway, long story short, you can pick this up right now uh, on the on Windows for twenty dollars. You could go out and try to get the three sixty version, but of course, you get on that road with those games. You don't know what patches were released or anything else. Real uh, quick, Aaron, before you before we close this up, I we did get a Discord review from Ears Edge <clears throat> from Jocko six. 502 and he says mirror's edge a game that never really got its time in the sun you will die a lot and you really need to stick at it for a while to get into it however quick restarts allows you to jump back into the action quickly and try again and once you've got into the flow successfully completing a run brings real satisfaction it's by no means a perfect game but it is a game that you should play at some point seven out of ten I agree. You know, uh, absolutely. This I think both these games we're checking out. But if you're gonna play either one of, them, of course, obviously we went on and on about it. But Mirror's Edge, this is an all-time classic in, in my book, uh, the Brent. And I think this is one that if it looks remotely interesting to you, you should go out and hunt down. And the fact that you can get it on Steam cheap, it's it's the way to go. Or oh, Xbox I, I, Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. Xbox. That's that's how I got it. Xbox. It's free. It's part of your free monthly uh, gimmick through EA. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, I own this about six different times. There so. you go. <laughs> Listen, enough banter, enough talk. We bid female protagonists adieu. I salute the ladies. And now we're going to consult with the most beautiful lady of all. It's Lady Luck, Brent, as we spin the wheel. <laughs> Here we go. I was I was a little worried which way you're going to take that, Aaron. I won't lie. Listen, <laughs> I'm a master linguist, as you know. So, this week, Brent, I'm going to go to the wheel close up here. We have added uh, British cartoon games, Brent. British cartoon games. Why not? Right. We've also got for the retro rewind the Sega CD. We're going back for another round of the Sega CD, the Brent. Uh, I guess I'll go around the horn here. We've got we've got. Uh, uh, VCR games that are not Action Max, which I still have a problem with that. The Sinclair QL. Chat subject choice. So be on your best behavior in there, chat. The Comex 35. We've got uh, new 16-bit games. We've got games that were uh, that became other games. Excuse me. And we've got game.com. And there you go. That's the whole enchilada. Are you ready to Brent? Absolutely. Ugh. See what we get here. And the winner is new 16-bit games. Suggested I know by what I'm playing. Dave Velociraptor. New 16-bit. How can you know it just got spun? 
Yeah, I already. I, I yeah, I'm good. Woo! What you? Uh, do you want to go ahead and announce it right now? Just no, to be, no, no, so, to be King no. Dong. No, because you never know. You you might change your mind. But I've got a I got a good idea what I'm playing. Very good, very good. Well, listen. Uh, this this has been one of our longest episodes for a while, the Brent, because we were so passionate about female protagonists, brother. We love the ladies, and uh, I know I've I've had some strong females in my life smack me around. You know that's the way it, that's part of it. So we're down with the clown with that. And next week it'll be new sixty. I have to really study on this one. I, I don't have anything that pops into my head. Eight uh, bit stuff, sure, but sixteen bit. We'll have to see what we got. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Had a good crowd today in the chat room. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you. We will be back same bat time, same bat channel next Aaron, week. One real quick thing I want to announce because they uh, unfortunately did not get put into the uh, Patreon song <sighs> list yet. Hey, hey, it's been it, it's been a busy life. I can't help it. But I want to welcome Mario as our newest supporter. <laughs> Unlikely to say Mario, but you never know. Um, so hopefully we'll get him in there next week. New supporter video almost certainly coming next week. Yeah, we've heard that before. Hey, one more quick thing. Remember, coming up the day after Thanksgiving, bam, thanks for giving Marathon with myself, the Brent. We're going to get into We're going to get jiggy. We don't even know what we're doing. It's going to be madness. But it's really only a little over a month away, the Brent. It'll be thanks for giving Marathon. We'll have more details coming. Uh, thanks again, everybody. We will catch you on the flip side. Until then, give your favorite female protagonist a big hug. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. We want to say a special thank you to Duncan Styles for our vector style graphics and Bart Pit for our amazing music. We also want to say a super special thank you to our supporters. Rolo, Olive Huff, oh, Terry Howard, Gary Heather, John Schaller, The Slow Norris, Frodo and L, Chris Foles, Mitsuyama, Jason Warnes, Rob, Black O'Hara, Andy Craig, Andy Jones, Kevin Bean, Jocko6502, Anthony Jarvis, Steve Rasmussen, Bernhard Lucas, Dave Velociraptor, Graham W. Vetke, Roshi, Mr. B, David Terrence, Super Tech Boy, O'Rom, Sundown, Texas Foosballer, Airshot, Retroallergy, John Deckman, Jerry Dennington, and Xenon Canine. Would you like to become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month? You can do so at patreon.com slash ARG Presents. Supporters get access to our Discord channel and their name called out in the credits. Don't want to explain another credit card bill? That's okay too. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Have an idea for a wheel piece? Email us at ARGPresents at mail.com. We film live every Sunday on Twitch, Sunday, 10 a.m. Hope to see you there.